All right, guys, you are locked on Falcons. I'm your host, Aaron Freeman, joined by my co-host, Alan Sterk, for another Falcons historian shootout where the host of Locked on Hawks, Brad Roland, will be taking on Stephen Godfrey of the Banner Society to see who knows the most trivia about the Falcons 2013 season. You are Locked on Falcons, your daily Atlanta Falcons podcast, part of the Locked on Podcast Network, your team every day. So, guys, you know me. I'm Aaron Freeman. I've been covering the Falcons for many years. I'm on Twitter at Falcons, of course, the host of this preeminent Lockdown Falcons podcast, your daily Atlanta Falcons podcast, right here on the Lockdown Podcast Network, your team every day. And today is another Falcons historian shootout where Brad Roland and Stephen Godfrey will be teaming, not teaming up, going up against each other to be peppered with trivia questions about the Falcons 2013 season. Of course, I'm here alongside my co-host for these Falcons historian shootouts, none other than Alan Sterk, former co-host. And now once again, co-host of the lockdown Falcons podcast, Alan, how are you doing tonight? Uh, doing splendid. All things considered. Yes. And uh, before we get into our review of the 2013 season to prepare you guys for the trivia contest between Brad and Steven later in today's episode, because we're going to be talking about 2013, we figured, hey, you know, it works. We can talk a little bit about sort of the hole that was opened up by Desmond Trufant at the cornerback position because he was one of the team. He was the team's top draft selection in that 2013 season. Alan, I'm curious to get your thoughts on sort of what the Falcons have done and are potentially doing to fill that void? Well, through the first round, they clearly did it by selecting A.J. Terrell, which I know many considered to be a reach at the time. But as we know, Dan Quinn has that prototypical corner, someone that has long arms, someone that's rangy, someone that has you know, the right amount of – brings that physicality to the line scrimmage, someone that could jam up receivers and – uh, I think you look at what they've done. I know both Jalen Collins obviously didn't pan out. Isaiah Oliver not looking promising, but you know, through the draft, and you know, we'll see how Kendall Sheffield maneuvers around. I think he's someone that could start in the league, but then I think he's the only ideal option to play nickel. So I'm looking at those two primarily as players that can replace Trufant. But I think the issue is that, especially when you compare Trufant to these current corners, is just the consistency that Trufant played with. Like, when it came to just positioning and awareness, he's among the best in the league. He's also a very good tackler as well. So these are things that are going to be very hard to replace, just getting that consistency and just someone that you rarely see at a position or rarely make any mental errors. He's someone that's pretty on point. If he's going to get beat, it's either because he's a little aggressive or maybe it's just because of the size differential if he's covering, let's say, a bigger physical receiver, or if it's someone like Will Fuller who just runs like 4-2 and just going to blow by any sort of corner. So it's a huge loss, and I think I don't know how they're going to replace him. It's going to be more like a trial and error, I guess, is a good way of putting it, because I don't think there are many corners that consistently play a high level like Trufant, albeit you know the injuries have piled up over the past few years. Yeah, I mean, for me, like one of the things I talked about a lot last year was sort of how bad the Falcons secondary was when Trufant wasn't on the field. And I am hoping that we won't see that sort of dramatic drop off. I think the numbers I because I talked about it on the postseason positional review back in January. So I apologize for not remembering the numbers off the top of my head. But I, I remember distinctly, like if you looked at the team's adjusted net yards per attempt allowed, which is arguably the most, the best 
stat for passing efficiency that when Trufant wasn't on the field last year, they allowed a adjusted net yards per attempt that was on par with what Patrick Mahomes, basically an MVP type of season. And when Trufant was on the field, I can't remember the specific quarterback off the top of my head. I want to say it was not, not Case Keenum. Somebody, someone not good, basically, is the point. Like someone who was a below average starting quarterback, but I can't remember who it was. Maybe it was Case Keenum. Did I'm Case sure. Keenum start for yeah, the Redskins I think it was last Case year? Keenum. He, he did. Okay, so it Pretty might so. have been Case Keenum. That's, you know, having that reliable coverage on one side of the field, I don't think the Falcons are going to have that, as, as you sort of suggested. And, you know, that's been a big reason why I've been pushing the whole idea of they need to get pass rush, pass rush, pass rush. And, you know, in my opinion, settling for guys like Charles Harris is not good enough because when you looked at the team last year, when the pass rush was on point, I thought the defense was pretty, was at least reasonably effective in the second half of the season. And when it wasn't, I think you saw those vulnerabilities. And I think now you don't have that, that quote unquote safety net that you had in, in Trufant. And so I think the issue could be worse. Hopefully it won't be, but you, you could wind up having a similar situation where basically if you're not getting pressure with those four or five guys up front, then, the, you know, especially given that you're not going to be able to benefit from facing Kyle Allen twice a year, you know, you're going to have the Dak Prescott's and the Patrick Mahomes's and the, and the Tom Brady's just picking apart this defense as we saw some quarterbacks able to do in the second half of the season. But I also see Jameis Winston as well. Yes. Based off of, uh, you know, you know, he's got to, he's got to beat out Taysom Hill at this point in time, which, you know, is next to impossible because Taysom Hill is the greatest quarterback to ever live. Oh, yeah, all those great, great, great quotes we've seen over the past five months. But I also have to take into account, like, I know people are saying Carolina's in rebuilding mode, which is totally understandable, but that offense is playmakers. You look at their trio of receivers, they're going to create mismatches. Yeah, and any Falcon fan who's watched the Falcons when they've played Teddy Bridgewater in the past knows that, you know, you can't sleep on that guy. Are you really going to bring up the 2014 defense? <laughs> Yeah, that's your episode in a few weeks. Oh, not weeks, I should say. Hopefully next week. So, come on. Well, I mean, you know, it, it's it, – I'm not going to say fascinating because fascinating is the wrong word. But when you look at the Falcons' record, you know, QB wins and all that. But you look at the Falcons' collective record against Drew Brees, Tom Brady, and, and Teddy Bridgewater in, in their careers, it is atrocious. So, I, I think, you know, don't sleep on the quarterbacks in this division. That's all I'll say. Which I don't Who's think I need to say, but yeah. I, I think I think some people are like, oh, you know, you know, especially after today, I think a lot of people are like, oh, Drew Brees is done. And I'm like, mm, just because he put his foot in his mouth on Twitter doesn't mean that he can't throw dimes to Michael Thomas and Emmanuel Sanders. Uh, Toronto Armstead might not want to. He yeah. might just be like, eh. We'll see. <laughs> but I, I think I think what it should uh, not be underestimated just the value of Desmond Trufant, which is why I wanted to talk about it today because I do think it's a. I, just based on the reaction from a few months ago, I do think people understood how big the loss it was. I just I think there's a little bit of a – because obviously they beat New Orleans and San Fran on the road and both games Trufant didn't play, and people kind of use those two games like, okay, Trufant might not be as valuable when you know, I do think they were kind of fortunate, especially in the San Fran game, New Orleans game. They pretty much outplayed them. But then you look at some other games, like Seattle and – Jared Goff got back on track, and the Cardinals game was an abomination. It's just those are the games I use more as an examples of how much the defense in the fun. So like I said, I think it's going to be a lot of trial and error, and I don't know, given the pressure that's on Dan Quinn, it's not a great position to be in. 
You know, I, yeah, I agree with that. I always find it fascinating when people use like the team winning or losing as like proof that, you know, cause people did that with Trufant back during the Super Bowl run, which is like, Oh, well we went on, the, you know, this run. But it's like, it's not because Trufant is expendable. It's because the offense was so good. Like people don't understand mm-hmm. that concept of like you, you can look at those games and be like, okay, why did the Falcons defense play well, despite not having Trufant in those games? And I, again, it goes back to the point I said earlier, particularly that Saints game. It was because the, they got pressure on the quarterback. I don't, I don't know who posted, but CB wins does exist. If you look at AJ Terrell Sky report, I forgot who posted. Uh, I don't think it was ESPN, but I just remember some draft profile. Shout once again, shout me and the Falcons for posting. I was like, oh no, CB wins. Like, what corner in the league would that be the best when it comes to CB wins? It can't be Revis because someone shut teams who are borderline terrible. I mean, he he did Ooh. have a nice run though. Revis did. When, uh, when, when they were going to the AFC Championship game, yeah, that's t- two years though. Like, yeah. like I'm trying to think who who be the king of CB wins. Then we'll move on. I mean, Anyone the last three mind? years it'll be Marshawn Sherman. Oh uh, yeah, it's true. I don't know Sherman probably. Yeah, has Sherman to be up there. would be, be. I don't know those two years in San Francisco where they were terrible might lower Ooh, him from yeah. the one spot. No, I was going to say Stephon Gilmore, but he played in Buffalo, so no. Yeah, I, he wasn't really in consideration. Brandon Browner? He played for oh, Seattle, man, New England, <laughs> and New Orleans, right? He coasted. <laughs> he coasted. <laughs> I just wanted to say Fred Thomas because just Fred Thomas. Yeah. For old school. Yeah. Weren't they like 79 but, yeah, yeah, Fred yeah. Thomas? Or is that was – Yeah, was that's why it doesn't fit. Yeah. No, no, he was, he was in the thick of it. He was also before him, but that was, he was on like some of those Aaron Brooks teams. Okay. And on that note, we will wrap up our conversation about cornerback wins and we will move on to talk about the Falcons 2013 season before inviting Brad Roland and Stephen Godfrey for our Falcons historian shootout to test those guys trivia knowledge of that particular season. But before we get there, you know, cornerback wins may be a made up stat, but you don't have to necessarily make up stats to know why built bar is the best protein bar out there. Not only are they a great tasting, but you get seven times less carbs, seven times less sugars, two times less calories and over four times the protein in a built bar than their competition. Not to mention again, they taste great, you know, get some hashtag taste wins with built bar. All of them have real chocolate in them. As I've said all month long, I'm a big fan of the peanut butter, coconut almond. You combine those two flavors with chocolate It's a home run every single time you can try those two flavors as well as 13 other flavors or more by going to builtbar.com, getting yourself a mixed box that includes 15 flavors. And you can save $10 off that first purchase at builtbar.com by using the promo code locked on. Again, that's promo code locked on to save $10 off your first box at builtbar.com. But let's get to 2013 season. I would say the second Worst season on the list. Yeah. When you look at just those years, 2013, a lot of expectations. And uh, I would say by week six, the season was essentially over. This was the first year Aaron and I were doing the podcast. And oh man, <laughs> that episode after it just came, it just pretty much signified the season, just bleak, gloomy. Well, uh, you know, I don't want to cut you off, Alan, but I'm guessing that basically that day that we recorded that podcast was our low moment of the season. Would that be correct to me assuming? Because that was the day we found out that Julio was out for the year. 
Yeah, but I remember there were some games, like maybe when they lost to Tampa Bay, where oh, I remember yeah, that was Peter, I Peter King like posed the saying, and you're like, look, the Falcons are the worst team in the league. I was like, damn, that makes yeah, a really good they point. They were. I, <laughs> I think that, that was. Bucks game. Yeah. Like people say, oh, Land's not the worst team in the league. And you're like, no, I think they are. Yeah. I mean, because like the 2013 was the year, uh, was the only year I was doing columns for um, Bleacher Report. Oh. And. Uh, I remember it was tough towards the second half of the season because I always had to do these takeaways, like 10 takeaways from the Falcons loss more often than not that year. But like there were like no takeaways. Like I was like, hey, Paul Warlow led the team in tackles again. You know, he's got a bright future ahead of him or, or whatever. Pray, Jerry got sad. <laughs> and so it was just like it was a tough year towards the end of the season. And, and I remember – you know, just trying to come up with articles. I remember very distinctly catching a lot of heat because I wrote an article about the Falcons needing to fire Dan. I mean, not Dan Quinn, Mike Smith, sorry, Floridian slipped there. I do remember this. Yeah. But like, if you actually read the art, like the title said, here's why the Falcons need to fire Mike Smith. But if you actually read the article, I was like, I don't think they need to fire Mike Smith, but he's certainly, you know, on the hot seat after this poor showing of that year, because I just remember writing a lot during that year on FalkFans.com as well as Bleacher Report about how the team played that sort of disciplined play not to lose dink and dunk style of offense. And given all the injuries they had the wide receiver position with Julio and Roddy and not having Steven Jackson for a large chunk of the season, that they needed to be a lot more aggressive with their play calling. And so for those of you guys that are like, why does Aaron hate Dirk Carter so much? It's this season that was like, they need to be more aggressive. They're not being more aggressive. Some, I hate Dirk Cutter, basically, is, is is basically the conclusion I reached by the end of the year because this was what taint. Like, I was very high on Dirk Cutter after the 2012 year, and then it sort of completely flipped after this 2013 season because of how basically conservative they were that, this season because they were – and you saw it particularly in that five-game losing streak in the middle of the season, which included that Buccaneers loss where they just would – they, they just couldn't compete for four quarters against teams like Seattle and Carolina at that point. And well, that Seattle game was brutal. So it was just brutal. tough to watch this team continually lose at week after week by basically playing it as safe as humanly possible during that season. All right. Well, you touch on Dirk Carr. I'll just, we got to talk about the offensive line. Just, I think it was quite possibly the worst thing I've ever watched in professional football history. <laughs> Like, it was just bad. Like, I, I don't mean to sound dramatic, but there were games, that Miami game in particular, where, Oof. oh, man, Matt Ryan just took beating after beating. We didn't even talk about the Saints finale when Greg Hardy was just throwing everyone around. I hate to even mention his name, but I just remember that season finale. It was – I don't know how Matt Ryan made it through that season, playing 16 games. Like, uh, I'll never forget when you were hyping up Peter Collins after the Ravens preseason game, and mm. he just completely fell off cliff. Lamar Holmes needing to get subbed out because he doesn't have the endurance to play all four quarters. That was embarrassing. Uh, Sam Baker signed that big contract deal, which we were shaking our heads at. And by like week seven, it was just, yeah, like he went on IR, but I think it was more at mercy rather than him. Yeah, he was injured, but I think it was just more of like, you cannot be on the field. It was just bad. Garrett Reynolds, like, clearly was never a guard. He was still playing guard. Just that offense line, like, it, 
besides like Justin Blaylock, I don't like to think about that offensive line because there were just so many liabilities, so many players that should not have been starting in National Football League. So that was a problem. The defense, the couple of key players that just fell off a cliff, like Tom Stekou, like essentially forgot how to tackle. Like there wouldn't be a game where Tom Stekou didn't miss a blatant open field tackle. It was just bizarre. Like I know he wasn't the most consistent tackler, but it was just plays where he had no business being on the field. It was just that bad. And then you know, the shuffle on the defensive line, the linebacker play was abysmal. Once Spoon got injured, he wasn't quite the same when he came back. You know, William Morris played dips a little bit. It's just I don't know what the positive was. I thought Trufon played well and Alfred shows some promise. That's about it. Like this is just a very, very dark year. I think this was the first year we got a taste of Anton Smith. Like this wasn't the monster year that he had in twenty fourteen, but like he, he made some plays in, in twenty thirteen as well. He showed um, some of that that Bills game, which was I think one of the well, it was one of their only four wins, but I thought that was like a pretty funny game, all things considered. And Rotten, Roddy White, that was kind of like his return. Yeah. Yeah, trying to find other positives. I mean, we just sat around just roasting OC every day, every week on the podcast back then. Man, he, he wants to just fading away. <laughs> like, hey, Jonathan Masco showed some promise that year. That he did. For uh, him, him and Drew Davis, you know, all all the great ones. It all went downhill when uh, Croy Beerman got hurt. Yeah, at one point, good for Croy Beerman was a very valuable piece. Like him and Mike Nolan, that was the perfect match. Yeah. All right, so let's wrap up here. Best moment. Um, it's easy for me. I'm going when William Moore did the Alabama slam on the tight end. I'm not gonna bother pronounce his name, but but William Moore did Alabama slam. That was. One of the best ones. That uh, honorable mention goes to Jason Snelling for recovering an onside kick against the 49ers one month after getting arrested for, uh, we won't say, but you get the idea. But Jason Snelling for life. This is actually, I think, the final year of Jason Snelling, which, man, what a terrible way to go out. Yeah, yeah. I was going to list him under the positives, but I didn't, I didn't know if there was a statute of limitations uh, in terms of testing positive. Am I right? Um, anyway, uh, my positive moment was the Bills game because I thought that game was vindication for me because basically for like six weeks prior to that, I was just preaching, Hey man, we gotta, we gotta push the ball down the field. And despite the fact that I think the Bills sacked Matt Ryan like five or six times in that game, they pushed the ball down the field. Roddy had sort of his return to form party. That was really his first and one of like four good games that he had that entire season and was sort of the last hurrah of Roddy white before we saw, you know, age start to um, slow him down the following year. And so that game was like, for me, like that, as you said, it was really the only fun game to watch. Maybe if you, maybe that week seven game where Harry Douglas was roasting Leonard Johnson, maybe to some people was fun, but I thought the Rams game was decent week too, but it was the Rams at the time. Was the, was that the Rams game where, where Sam Bradford, no, no. I'm sorry. I, I'm OC of, had a pick six, and William Moore did the Alabama slam, and Julio, I think, roasted okay. Janoris. All right, I was confusing Sam Bradford throwing a pick six in that game to him walking down Roman Harper uh, after he threw a pick to him. But yeah, those are two separate events. Sorry. Uh, worst moment, there's plenty of truth from. I'm simply going with the Jets loss just because I watched that game with 20 Jet fans, and it's just Geno Smith's shining moment, and just everything about that game was just. Miserable. Oh my 
just also was just it just it was a sign. It's like okay, wasted year and just end everything. Trade Tony Gonzalez, who we should mention. This was Tony Gonzalez's last year. Felt bad for him that he didn't get to go to a contender, but. You know, he's, oh, you got good credit to us. He played hard every single game when easy could have melted in. Yes, and that was another reason why I was mad at Dirk Cutter because it was like, why aren't you splitting Tony Gonzalez out wide rather than having Drew Davis do whatever the heck Drew Davis was doing? Um, that, Not get open. <laughs> that season when we basically had Harry Doug, our entire passing game, and Dirk Cutter's refusal to adjust his offense to fit what the personnel we had at that time, again, which has obvious overtones to what's going gone on in 2019 and 2020 with the Falcons offense, but I won't go there. My worst moment. I mean, you, you nailed it. It's either the bucks game or finding out that Julio's down for the season. I think from a team standpoint, it's clearly the bucks game. Cause they were clearly like the worst team in the league after losing to a one in eight bucks team. I think they were at that point in time and getting the, they were like down, like, 20 points at some point in that game or whatever it was. But, you know, as I said earlier, that day where we were, you know, I think we did like talk for like two or three hours that Tuesday or whenever, when we found out Julio was going on IR and and maybe only half of it went on the podcast, but we just spent like most of it talking about, well, they got to trade for Hakeem Nix or Josh Gordon, or they got to do something. And then they didn't do anything. Josh Gordon was the guy. Yeah. So. (laughs) All right. 2013, we had to do it. We got through it. We got two more bad years left, and then we get to good stuff. Yeah, I mean, we we still haven't talked about the 07 season, so I feel sorry for whoever's got to talk about that. And it's not going to be me, uh, at least doing the trivia part of it. But, uh, yeah, we will move today's episode forward and talk with Stephen Godfrey and Brad Rowland on the Falcons Historian Shootout coming up later today. So, guys, we are back for another Falcons historian shootout. Of course, I'm one of your co-hosts, Alan. I mean, wow. (laughs) Pause. We've all all done it. Uh, I am one of your co-hosts, Aaron Freeman, uh, joined by my co-host, Alan Sterk. And we are here to quiz a pair of Falcon fans, Falcon adjacents in terms of uh, this whole series on various Falcon seasons in the past. And this today's Falcons historian shootout is of course the very forgettable 2013 season. And of course we are joined by Stephen Godfrey of banner society, as well as Brad Rowland of the locked on Hawks podcast and a whole host of other Atlanta adjacent sports websites. Um, guys, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. Yeah. Thanks for having us. Before we start off, I want to get both of you guys' takes. Just where were you at in 2013 in terms of your career, and what did you remember of the 2013 season? Uh, Steve, start us off. Oh, man. Uh, yeah, so in 2013, um, I was with SB Nation um, in a version of the position I have now, basically doing college football coverage and writing and reporting and investigative work. And 13, to me, sticks out as – um, maybe the first year I came to terms with the fact that when seasons go like this one did, that I have to kind of like walk away. You know, I would, I would not watch the games. I, I want to say like living outside of the Atlanta metro area that this was a year, maybe I cut the, the game pass or the, uh, you know, the Sunday ticket. Um, this, the, the thing I take away from 2013 was this was a strong lesson to me to like occasionally, 
you know, coming off of that NFC championship so recently before this, that you just kind of have to walk away sometimes. And it doesn't make you less of a fan or less passionate about your team, but it's just, it's a mental health thing. Just could have watched Harry Douglas get 11 targets a game. Oh, man. <laughs> Biggest stat pattern in the world, if you like <laughs> Brett, how about you? Yeah, uh, unlike Steven, I, I think I watched the I think I watched the whole season, which was unfortunate. I think on a number of levels, because mm. I I didn't necessarily have to, you know, guys like Aaron and Al, you guys have to watch this stuff for work purposes. I wasn't covering the team, but I think I watched, if not every game, close to it because I, I don't have the ability to log off like Steven uh, seems to, which is I, I envy you, my friend. Well, um, let me let, yeah. uh, let me I'll be very clear about this. What I do is actually a sick and perverse uh, version. I so if I don't actually get the live feed of the game, and this happens a lot traveling as a college football writer, I would have been, especially in 2013. This happened a lot. I would have been in another city. Uh, coming home from like Clemson or, you know, University of Washington, Stanford, wherever. And on Sundays, I, I do this. I still do it. I take a scoring app and I refresh it like with my thumb dragging it over and over again after I have like told my wife or told my friends, I'm done with this. I'm not watching it anymore. <laughs> and that is that's basically the behavior of like a, like a drug addict. It's just that my drug is this football team. Yeah, yeah I was going to say that, that that makes more sense. I think I identify with that in, in a big way, but uh, there, I was, there have been many times where I'm like, I'm done. I can't do this anymore. And then I'll just immediately walk to another room, pull my phone out and then just hit refresh literally hundred, 200 times. I think I, I might've done that um, with, with this past season in 2019, which we won't talk about <laughs> on, on today's show. But uh, uh, yeah, I, I mean, actually, I vividly remember doing that with the Cardinals game. Um, I took my kids, I had kids after 2013, but I took my small, my young kids to a playground and sat there and just hit refresh, waiting for it to end. Thinking, thinking that game would be the end of the Dan Quinn era. Ooh, I think I had the same reaction, but without kids, but alas, <laughs> 2013 was a long time ago, but I, uh, yeah, I, I remember it not so fondly, which I'm sure we all agree on. Yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah, it, it definitely, you know, the more like, we sit and talk about this, by the way, I feel like I'm at an AA meeting. Um, like the more, the more that I, I sort of dwell on 13, it was so many promises unrealized and, and not even really about uh, promises that we probably should have gone back and realized that there were so many systemic flaws with this roster and some of the schematic elements of this team. But for whatever, 13 just felt like such a surprise. Um and and just so many things went wrong. I think that's what stands out the most. And it, it, it suddenly looked like such an untalented football team. Out of nowhere, it felt like. That's a great way of putting it. Like a team yep. that was pegged as Super Bowl containers all of a sudden has like eight different flaws and can't win a football game. Yeah, I thought they would take a step back that year, but not as big a step as they wound up doing. Yeah. Always pessimistic, Aaron. Well, you know, <laughs> it is what it is. Oh no, I'm 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 like Aaron now. If if someone asks me, I'm my my base setting on the Atlanta Falcons is five wins, and you have to really move heaven and earth to get me to nine. Just sharp pessimism. I'm, I'm with you all the way on that. Oh, I love it. I love it. I'm surrounded by like-minded individuals. This is my favorite podcast. Yeah, man. That's it's that that's Atlanta. All right. So let's get into the trivia portion of today. Alan, do you want to start things off with Stephen? Okay, so Steve, I'm going to start for you. So this will be five questions. Um, okay. Just, all right, Steve, first question. Who was the Falcons defensive coordinator in 2013? Oh, God, this this one hurts personally um, because I believe it is Mike Nolan. 
That is correct. Someone I was heavily invested in and thought would fix everything. Uh, couldn't Not agree the more. First but, time, all right. uh, a Falcon fan has said <laughs> that about a particular Falcon coach. Won't be the last. Uh, uh, question two. Who did Robert Alford's first career interception come against? Oh, man. Robert Alford. Okay. This is going to be a guess. I know they played the Patriots early on in the year, so I'm going to guess Brady, but I don't think that's right. And I know they – I don't think it came against Breeze in the first week. I know they put, they, they lost the Saints to open that season. So I'm, I'll just say Brady. It was week one against the Saints. At oh, when uh, Drew Breeze okay. threw across the Marcus Colston. It was uh, underthrown. And, yeah, Alfred just ripped it out of Colston's hands. All right. So well, one of the – yeah. All right. That, that hurts. Really I should know that. Uh, yeah, because this was week one. This is when uh, not everyone was checked out. But, uh, yes. Question three. Uh, they, Falcons won only one division game in 2013. Which was the division team they beat? I'm going to say uh, I know that they lost both games to the Saints because I, I, I mark time in my life by Saints games. Um, so I'm going to say uh, given that period of time, I'm going to say Tampa. Yep, that's correct. That was a game where Harry Douglas went crazy. And I believe like maybe a hundred people at the Georgia Dome for it. Ooh. Question four: Who led the team in receptions that year? Ooh, um, I think this is a trick question because I know people want to say Julio, but given that offense at that time, was it Gonzalez? It was Harry Douglas. Oh man, you even teed me up there. You, <laughs> all right, okay. Man, we ran an <laughs> offense through Harry Douglas. God, this is this whole thing's making me sad. I know. I I want to avoid Drew Davis questions, but we oh, man. do. Yeah. Last question. Name three of the Falcons offensive linemen that started on opening day. It is uh, quite the list of names. So oh, it's terrible. Just give me three. Yeah, yeah, no. I, here's what's sad is I remember terrible things, right? You just asked me about good things. I can't remember. This is how much of an Atlanta fan I am. Uh, this, so there was a guy from old, uh, uh, Southern Miss. Because one of the jobs I had as a reporter when I was first starting out was covering Southern Miss. It's a guy named Lamar Holmes. Okay. And I remember when he went to Atlanta, Southern Miss fans would were, were like, why? Um, that was the level, even like at his alma mater. People were like, really? He's going to start? So Lamar Holmes, he he played – I know he played one of the tackle positions. Well, he had to have played right because Sam Baker was there, right? This is before Sam Baker's, like, legs and knees explode. And uh, – I don't know if Blaylock was there yet, but I know that this is this is a is this the Peter Kahn's year where they put all the money on him? So I'm gonna go Holmes, Baker, and I know Peter Kahn's was there. There you go. All three of the other two were Blaylock and Garrett Reynolds. Garrett Reynolds, wow. Yeah, yeah this game definitely makes me want to cry. <laughs> so three out of five. Good stuff. I'm I'm in trouble here, I think. We'll see. That's all I'm saying. I'm, we'll see. Well, Brad, I got five questions for you. They should progressively get harder. So uh, hopefully you right. can uh, get these first couple right and you'll be good to go. So question one, the Falcons traded up eight spots in the first round to select this player in the 2013 NFL draft. Hmm. Uh, Desmond Trufant. That is correct. Here we go. All right. Question two. Roddy White had 143 yards against this opponent in the Falcons' only overtime game in 2013. Uh, I wish I knew if it was a win. Because um, the, win, the wins are a lot easier to remember that year because there were, there were so few of them. Um, I'm going to guess it's either Buffalo or Washington. Uh, I think it's – give me Buffalo. 
That is also correct. Oh, it was lucky. 50-50. Yeah. yeah. All right. All right. I, that's why I didn't say overtime win because it would have been too easy because there was only four games. I would I would I would have got that more likely, but yeah. there you go. All right. Question three. The Falcons signed four undrafted free agents that started at least two games for the Falcons in 2013. Name two of them. They were undrafted free agents in 2013. They were rookies that year or they were undrafted free agents? They were undrafted rookies, yeah. One of them's, I guess, probably Lamar Holmes after that discussion from, from Godfrey. Uh, give, me, give me Lamar Holmes and try and remember who started on defense that year. Joplo Bar 2? You got one of them correct. Joplo right, Bar 2. Oh, yeah. it wasn't Holmes? No. Holmes was a third round pick. He was a, a third round pick. Yeah, that's yeah. yeah he was dra- he was drafted. I remember. Good, that. good gracious, alive. Uh, then maybe uh, my my fault. Before you, before you, I'm definitely wrong. Before you give it to me, is it is it Reynolds? No, he was a fifth know. round pick. I think maybe. I have yeah, no idea. That I'm useless. It's uh, the other three besides Joplo Bartu were Paul Warlow, Ryan Schrader, oh, and Darius Johnson. Paul Warlow, the the Delaware Blue Hen. I knew he was there. I just I, I kind of forgot that was his rookie year and that he was undrafted. There you go. There you go. I'm bad. Two very Warlow famous got signed somewhere else. He when he left Atlanta, I think did he go to the Lions for it, like a cup of coffee? Lions and then Philadelphia, I think the year after that. That's insane. Shots to Paul Warlow. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Question four: <laughs> The Falcons got a late season win against a team that. Instead of kicking an extra point to tie the game 27 to 27 with just 22 seconds left, that team opted to go for two, failed to convert that two point conversion and sealed the Falcons win. Who was that opponent? This one I'm confident on because it was the other one that I mentioned earlier. It's Washington. That is correct. Okay. I heard, yeah, I remember that game. Me too. <laughs> that was a crazy, that was crazy. <laughs> it, did, it didn't, it didn't matter at all for the Falcons, but it, it uh, that was the thing. All right, so if you get this, Brad, you will win. If you do not, we will go to sudden death overtime. Oh, geez. All right, this is the hardest question, so good luck. Uh Uh-oh. This player won the backup quarterback battle when the Falcons 2013 draft pick Sean Renfrey went on injured reserve. Oh, um, let me see if I get these years mixed up. So it's not Renfrey. Oh, man. I really don't know. I have to guess something, though. Uh, is it? That's, that can't be right. Uh, I don't even think I have a guess, honestly. I should know this, but I don't. Well, it's an obscure player that was famous. You shouldn't have to know this. No, you well, shouldn't. Let me reiterate. It's <laughs> Dominique Davis. Oh, okay. I wouldn't have got that, but I do, I do remember that now. Yeah. He, he had a nice little run in the preseason that, that summer that I think people got hyped over his potential. And Did he ever I, play in a regular season game? I think he played in like one game in garbage time or something. I just remember, remember he took such a beating. I remember he came out of ECU and he was a transfer player and I think he ended up in the CFL. That's the only thing I could tell you. Yeah. Yeah. He was a college teammate of Matt Ryan's at Boston College before going to ECU. It, it is a wonder that Matt Ryan made it through that season, given the offensive line discussion that we had earlier, just for the record. <laughs> Took a lot of hits. Yeah. Okay, so for sudden death, because this is the first time we're doing this, uh, instead of, like, you guys shouting out names, if you could type it in until you get it right. So I'm going to ask a question right now. This is sudden death, and whoever first gets it right 
wins and goes through. But I don't you want you guys breaking new ground here. Yeah, is, uh, <laughs> well, we, we had one. We had one beforehand, but it was kind of a mess with DW and Adnan. So we're trying a little bit of a new way to make it uh-huh. less of a mess. We don't, we don't want two people shying at each other. So, so what we need you guys to do is basically just type in names of players, and whoever first gets it right will let you guys know. So the question is: This is do or die here, tiebreaker. When it goes through, who led the Falcons in tackles for a loss in 2013? Yeah, you guys can go ahead and start typing, and just keep guessing until you get it right. Oh, just keep guessing? Any uh, sort of defensive players that come to mind? No, Steve. Okay, all right, I'm, I am guessing. Humanure is not a bad guess, but no. I know. I knew he led the. Lead, I knew he led the team in sacks. I think anyway. He did, but not tackles for loss. Not tackles for loss. Uh, who else is there? <laughs> I forgot no. about Keem Dent. No, no, not Corey Peters. No. Um, oh, that was his I'll, best year. Nope. No, he got injured a lot. Bar two. There you go, yeah, Brad. well, I mean, yeah, he always. Yeah. Oh, did he get it? Yeah, I, yeah, mentioned, him, I mentioned him earlier. I, I, would, I would have forgotten him and altogether, but I've just started. The, the answer to the question was Joplo Bar two for those listening at home. I almost yeah. said Babino wow. too, which which was Godfrey's next guess, and I, I, I was about to type that, and I chose Bar two for whatever reason in my brain. But wow, that is depressing. <laughs> I, I forgot that I came down. Oh my god! Oh, I mean, man. honestly, as a sidebar, if people are bored at home, just look at the look at the roster and look at the stats. If you're just it was this, this is just a dark, dark place to be in the 2013 Falcons. Like it's ugly. It really is. What's like, what's, what's, yeah, I don't said. know if I can remember many more. I mean, I don't think like like from the so from, just for the listeners from the list that we rattled off: Trufant, Asante Samuel, OC, Paul Warlow, uh, Akeem Dent, Corey Peters, Spoon. Um, I almost guessed Perey Jerry, which would have been hilarious. Yeah, Perey was injured early, wasn't he? I can't remember. Croy was injured. I was waiting for maybe a Croy Beerman. I was about to. Start, I was starting just like naming people in my brain that I knew oh, were. God, at least I on forgot the team. about Croy Beerman too. Man. Yeah. Wow. All right. This has been a great therapy session. Guys. You know. Oh, you know what's goodness. funny though, like as we sit here and, and talk about how awful this defense was because of all the players that we named that weren't very good, you can argue that the defense actually was worse the following year um, than it was in 2013. So that says a lot. There, there have been some pretty bad defenses in the recent past. <laughs> just got to be honest yeah. it's a pretty bad defense i will say yeah. this and i and i hope i'm as i depart from you um i hope i'm wrong there are shades of this year that we're talking about and the 2019 falcons in a lot of ways to me in that i i think that a lot of people in the falcoholic community in the falcons fandom in general thought this year would be the end of, of this administration and or coaching staff, I should say, and it wasn't, right? Ooh. They, like, kind of limped into the following year preaching the same gospel, you know, had another draft that was suspect, and we had to suffer through another year. I really hope that we're not dealing with 2014 come 2020. That would be terrifying. Yeah, I think you speak for all of us, but uh, we'll see what happens. Yes. Yeah. Only encouraging thing I could say is they signed Dante Fowler, not someone like Tyson Jackson. Yeah, nice. that's true. That is true. Big stuff. Uh, congratulations to Brad. I thought um, I was I wasn't happy with all, that. I got as many right as I did. Me, me, me too. I can't I can't imagine how I won that, but uh, it was a pleasure, everybody. I guess so I have I to do like this again is, now, huh? Yeah, I feel like this is a good eight nine matchup. You know. Yeah. <laughs>
It was it was a true tiebreaker. We were right in the middle. It was and we got we, and we got to do therapy as you referenced. So yeah, successful all around. I think. Okay. Well, Brad, next time you're on, you will be getting a playoff here, so it won't be as painful. I would hope that uh, that won't be as painful, but uh, I'll probably lose. So it'll be one and none, but it'll be good. I appreciated this. Do you guys have anything to plug before oh, you yes, go, Steve, yes. Brad? Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I host Locked On Hawks, which is the this, this sort of sister brother show to this one. So check that one out. That's the easiest thing to follow me and follow me on Twitter if you want to at BT Rolling. There you go. Uh, I would also plug Locked On Hawks just because Brad is a person where anytime the Hawks do anything, I just immediately run to Brad and go, is this good? Um, because my I spent my entire professional career in football and I'm very comfortable saying what I don't know and I don't know basketball that well so I have bugged Brad for years by just just adding him and going is this good or why are we always bad um, both of those things are interchangeable with Atlanta sports yes, um, they are. I need <laughs> I need to plug uh, Banner Society at Banner Society Stephen Godfrey at 38 Godfrey for various other things that I do um, and at the moment that's actually it. That's all I can think of. Okay. Well, we definitely appreciate you guys for joining us tonight. And I too am in the, you know, when it comes to Hawks basketball, I just listen to Brad and just basically <laughs> regurgitate his takes and like, yeah, I'm smart. I know all things about Hawks, right? I just, uh, we, but, yeah, we got to get more players around Trey, and I sound really <laughs> smart when I say that. <laughs> that. That's all you need. That's all you need to say. That's a very easy one one line talking <laughs> point. Perfect. <laughs> guys, man, really appreciate you. Uh, Brad, we look forward to doing this again with you later. And, and Stephen, you have a good night. Thanks, guys. Sounds good. Thanks, guys. Good one. So there's another Falcons historian shootout in the books, and we want to thank David A., a.k.a. A. Clark Kent Type, on Twitter for the suggestion on the reformatted sudden death. Without him, we couldn't do it unchaotically, I guess. It went very smooth. Shout out to Dave. So, Alan, um, any sort of parting words for the listeners? Well, we have two matchups left. We have Jason Butt versus Kevin Knight. And for the finale, David Cho against Aaron Freeman. It's coming, folks. We're almost there. Yes. You want to pressure Aaron? I am. I am. I'm glad I got a weekend to do research before I have to face the fire. Right. Uh, for those, just uh, you know, I'll put a bracket out once the first run's over. But right now we have Jams versus Adnan Ikic. You have me against Will McFadden. I think that's looking like a really good matchup. And then now, third matchup is set. Before finals, we have Matt Chernoff against Brad Roland, two uh, very popular Atlanta radio hosts. So that should be actually a really cool matchup. I like all these matches, but I think that one and me against Will should be very spirited. And we'll see who comes out with the last matchup. I think Jason Butt is uh, kind of a dark horse in this one. Very knowledgeable dude. Yeah, well, I mean, if I can get past Dave, I, I feel pretty confident about my chances making a deep run. That's what I'll say. All right. All right. But, uh, yeah, that's that's on the docket for next weekend. We'll see if there's any news coming out involving the you know, Falcons. I don't know. Is there anything in terms of, like, OT, not, not OTAs, but, like, any sort of press conferences or meetings coming up? Or? No, nothing. Nothing nothing serious I've heard of. So, I don't know. Yeah, hey, maybe the Falcons will sign edge rusher for you, Aaron. One can hope, I guess. I'm not holding my breath, but, you know, we'll see. So, yeah, that's what we got coming up. So, guys, there you have it. Uh, another Falcons Historian Shootout. Tomorrow's episode will feature my 53-man roster projection. 
right here on Locked On Falcons podcast. You can subscribe to that on your favorite podcast platform, whether that's Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or whatever is your favorite podcast platform that you're listening to me talk and Alan talk right now. You can, of course, find Alan on Twitter at a double L E N underscore Sturk, Alan Sturk. I'm on Twitter at Falcons. Of course, you can hit up the show at Locked On Falcons on Twitter and or Facebook, as well as send an email to Locked On Falcons at mail.com. See you guys tomorrow. You are Locked On Falcons, your daily podcast on the Atlanta Falcons, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Okay, so Steve, I'm going to start for you. So this will be five questions. Um, okay. You'll give your answer. Uh, we don't really have a clock, but you know, let's try not to do more than 30 seconds. Because okay. uh, we had Jay Adams on, and there were times where he almost took 90 seconds, so we've had to be a little bit more. 90 seconds uh, is being very generous. Was he, yeah. was, he doing, was, was he doing live research on the podcast? Uh, I don't know, man. Don't, he don't just was so. like, mm. then he was making jokes in between. Then he told like a Paul World story where he almost threw up. It was, it was pretty, it was a journey. <laughs> but, uh, all right, Steve, first question. Who was the Falcons defensive coordinator in 2013?